Okay, we are on page Ted Vav in the introduction of Rav Kapach. We are in the big paragraph one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. The last word line is Mechabrim. Nine lines up. Mechabrim Rabim Huvu Medivrehem Beviuri Yemalidei Ani Bofen Yeshir. Many of the authors were brought mentioned by me directly. Says Rav Kapach. Vim Betoch Divrei Echad Mechabrim Sheveti Yishadanu Medivrehem. Sometimes you'll find that one of the authors that Rav Kapach brings mentions another author. Whether it's meant to push away something or to prove something or to ask a question on something or to answer a question on something. But because these books, I didn't deal with them consistently, meaning in a systematic fashion. I didn't always look in every halakha in those secondary books. Because of that, says Rav Kapach, I didn't mention them in my list of rabbis, of the 300 rabbis he deals with. So sometimes there are rabbis who are secondary rabbis. They're quoted by the mechabrim, by the authors that Rav Kapach is dealing with. Vavzot, nonetheless, or Vavzot, and also with this, I tried my best not to bring everybody who deals with every topic. Even if he quotes Rabbeinu, the Rambam, matter of fact, I'm not looking for those who quoted Rambam matter of factly. So there may be many more commentaries that dealt with aspects of what the Rambam was talking about. Says Rav Kabach, I didn't bring them. My point is only to bring those who dealt with the Rambam directly, and that was the main purpose of their writing. Because if I would only go down the other road, meaning that I would quote everybody who ever mentioned anything about the Rambam writing, would there be no end to everything that I would have to write? At the end of this, I gave a list of all the rabbis' books whose uh, commentaries have been mentioned and integrated into my commentary. And aside from them, many dozens of other books that were quoted by me in my commentary. And I quoted other rabbis, whether they're there for a reason of uh, proving something or disproving something. But Harav Kapach's way is only to list the names of the rabbis that he systematically deals with and whose main thrust is to deal with the Rambam directly and not matter-of-factly. So this is important. When you, whenever you work on a project in life, to know to set parameters. Because if you don't set parameters, you'll never end. You know, there are sometimes our rabbis will say, this is a great halakhic conversation to have. But if you would continue on this line of thinking, there would be no end. For example, you ask somebody if they're Jewish. Yes. Are your parents Jewish? Is your mother Jewish? Your mother's mother. Your mother's mother's mother. At which point do you stop? Until you find out that really nobody's Jewish. There has to be a limit halakhically to where you end or where you begin. You can't deal with everything. There's a certain mentality in the Jewish world. We want to cover all of our bases. 
Halakha doesn't work like that. Because you can't. Because you have to create very clear parameters. I'm working within these boundaries. This is my frame of reference. This is what I'm dealing with. Halakha is saying there's two kinds of rabbis that I don't quote often. Those who I don't deal with their books systematically, so they're quoted as secondary sources by the rabbis who I do quote systematically and consistently. And second, those who deal with the Rambam directly. Those who happen to mention the Rambam along the way of conversation, I don't normally bring down their writings, says Al-Kabach, because if I did, I would never be able to finish writing what it is that I'm trying to write. <clears throat> when I would copy over the writings of the commentaries, I didn't always preserve the exact language they wrote. Oftentimes I abbreviated, I shortened their words. And I only bring down, I only mention the main thrust of their opinion or their commentary the way I, the poor one, the humble one, understood it. But I believe, in my opinion, that I still maintain the spirit of what they wrote. There are some books that are Likutim. You go to them, and they quote things directly. I like to quote, by the way, I prefer such things. Because oftentimes you can't trust the one who's quoting, that they properly understood who they're quoting. How many times do you see a Chacham write something, and then it comes time for me to research? You can probably try. It comes time for me to research. And I begin my research, and what happens? I see the Chacham who paraphrased somebody else didn't understand them correctly. And now you're stuck with the paraphrasing of somebody else, but it's not true. To look in primary sources. To make it a habit to look things up. And once Ara Peres was talking to somebody, well, I assume, he said, Tamnei Chamim don't assume. What was his answer? Tamnei Chamim don't assume. Never assume something to be true. Unless you've researched it yourself, so, but it's hard. Yeah, it's right. It's hard to be a Timicham. But I might not have time. Good. So don't speak about things you didn't research on your own. Just make it a habit. Don't just speak about everything. Only speak about the things that you are that you know you're speaking. You don't have so then don't deal with it. Sometimes Chachamim will write, I see that this is quoted here, but I don't have this book in my library. There are many Chachamim that don't write that. It happened to me. In my, one of my books, in one of my chapters in Hishalom, I wrote there, there was a book that I saw when I was in Israel, and I, I saw it, I don't have it in front of me. And later when I found it, Baruch Hashem, I updated that in the edition, but I didn't have that book in my library then. A person has to know, to say, this, this is within the parameters of what I know. By the way, in general, I think that uh, rabbis make a mistake. I was talking to my wife recently. Uh, you don't have to agree with what I'm going to say. I say it anyways. Recently there have been a lot of uh, synagogues, Jewish institutions, issuing all kinds of health warnings and, and things about you know what's going on in the health situation in the United States. I don't know if you know, but I'm not a medical professional. And not in my day job, not in my night job, not in my weekend job. I don't, uh, I don't moonlight as a medical professional. I'm not, I'm not involved in the field of medicine. And therefore, unlike many other rabbis who have a habit to talk about all kinds of things they don't know about, I make a habit not to speak about things that I don't know about. Even the things I know about, I don't always talk about. But the things I don't know about, for sure I don't make a deal about. Rabbis are in a situation where they're kind of, uh, you know, in Yiddish, they call them kolboyniks. Yeah. Uh, it's a kolbo. It's a, it's a jack of all trades, master of none. Yes? 
a jack of all trades, and he thinks he can do everything. Basically, a rabbi today is an unlicensed social worker, he's an unlicensed, they have all kinds of jobs he has, and he tries to pretend he knows how to do all of them. That's what he's good at, what he should do. When it comes to issue health warnings, ah, there's all kinds of people, that's their job in life, to issue health warnings. If you are worried about a particular health issue that you are afraid of, okay, incorporate your health practices into the way you live your life in the community, outside of the community. If you don't agree with what I'm saying, that's fine. But I'm going to say, it'll be a, never be a situation where you're going to find, oh, we ban iPhones because iPhones are the worst thing that happened to humanity, signed Rabbi X, Y, and Z. And then you ask Rabbi X, Y, and Z if he knows what an iPhone looks like. He doesn't know. So how do you put out proclamations about something you never saw before? Oh, because they told me I took it on good authority from... You look like a fool. Because you've signed off on something you don't know about. You don't have to sign off on everything in the world. No, what are you good at? But it goes all the way around too. Sometimes people think that just because they're Jewish, or just because they're observant of halakha, or they've been in the Jewish community for a very long time, they have the knowledge or the right to speak about all kinds of things in the Jewish uh, uh, world. All kinds of halakhic matters. You should see some of the people I see uh, floating around the internet. People that I know, I know them day to day. If you would show them a sidur upside down, they wouldn't know it was upside down. But they know everything about Jewish medical ethics. They know exactly when people can have abortions and when they can't and what, everything they know. These people are Talmidei Chachamim of the Facebook variety. And it's very embarrassing. It's embarrassing because you ask the person, where are your credentials? You can speak. You want to speak about politics? You're really into politics? Speak about politics. But don't speak about Judaism's take on politics if you don't have the credentials or the authority to back up that you have the right to speak about Judaism in anything. Just don't do it. Say, in my opinion, in my political opinion, X, Y, and Z is true. But don't stick a Judaism that you're not familiar enough with. You might have been doing this for a very long time. But you know where to look up the halakhot of this topic? I told you, Pesach time is coming around. Someone's going to tell, oh, you know, this is kosher, this is kosher. Ask him if he knows where to find the laws of kashrut. He doesn't know. Not, Shh, you shouldn't talk about kashrut. Just don't speak. The, the, if you want to gain wisdom, be quiet. Like a joke. And until you speak, we thought you were stupid. But once you speak, we know you're stupid. There's certain people that it's better that we should just assume things about them that they should prove us right. Just don't speak. Well, you know the Rav Kapach, he has a different problem. If he were to write a commentary on the Rambam and quote every single commentary, 300 of them, in com- uh, with complete sentences, exactly word for word, verbatim as they said it, it wouldn't help. His work wouldn't help us at all. Because you would be stuck with 1,000 volumes of Rav Kapak The Rambam that went to become simple now became complicated by Rav Kapak himself. And what did he help? So rather what he does is, he paraphrases, this one says this, this one says that. If you feel the need to go look these up for yourself, or something doesn't sit well with you, then you should know how. Which is precisely why every author that does this always points you to the source where you could look this up for yourself. I'll be honest, some of these books are not even in my library. In which case, you might have to go out on a limb and, and accept from Rav Kapach what he's writing, but Baruch Hashem, uh, Rav Kapach's Torah is very clean. 
So you don't have to worry so much that he's quoting something that, that isn't there. But look what he's going to write. It's not impossible. Top of page, Ted it's not impossible that I made a mistake in understanding the words of one Chacham or another. But the halacha is that a Dayan can only deal with what his eyes can see. This halacha is very important. By the way, talking about iPhones, if Chacham's eyes has never seen it, he shouldn't be ruling about it. They tell a famous story about a Hasidic rabbi. For years and years and years was a posek. And then one day he's in a farm. He sees a chicken be slaughtered. He says, wow. He never, he was always being posek halachot in the laws of shkita, but he never saw a chicken before. He never knew that, wow, this, this uh, vest, I'm talking about the neck and the this. He never saw it before in real life. He only saw it in the shukhan So how can it be posek on something you don't know? She never dealt with it. Don't speak about it. Chacham can only deal with what's in front of him. When two people come to Bedin and they complain and they have arguments, Achacham is only expected to deal with what is in front of him. Now you have a similar halakha in the laws of Giyu, the laws of conversion. It's fascinating. There's laws of conversion. And then Maran writes, All of these laws are subjective. And it's all up to the eyes of the Dayan. Whatever he sees, that's the halakha. You don't find this in... I don't know anywhere else in Halachad you would say something so blatantly. The laws of Kashrut are X, Y, and Z, but if the rabbi sees things differently, he can do whatever he wants. The laws of Giyu are very much like that. You can have a person that ticked all the right boxes. They Everything they're doing right. And they come in front of you, and you say, something is wrong here. You can't compel me to do a Giyu just because they ticked the right boxes. The other hand is true. If they didn't tick all the right boxes for you, but I'm confident, if this is the kind of person that belongs in Am Yisrael, you better believe. En ladayan, en amashen avroot. Hakol afirot en ladayan. That's why he learned. Remember he learned? Shammai meets a convert, a potential convert, and Shammai throws him out of the building. And he does sees him, converts him right away. So what does Shammai see? Hillel doesn't see. No, Shammai felt not. So Hillel can't compel Shammai to convert somebody who doesn't want to convert. But Shammai also can't compel Hillel not to convert somebody who he feels he's comfortable with. Hillel had enough of a good feeling about this person. And from here, the commentary is right. I believe Tosafot mentions. It had him a whole Torah standing on one foot. You remember this story? He says, I want to hear the whole Torah standing on one foot. Shammai says, get out of here. He throws him out. Hillel says, stand on one foot. Whatever you hate being done to you, don't do it to other people. The rest of the Torah is just a commentary. And then he converts him to Judaism. Which Giyur program in the world do you know would do such a thing? How could Hillel do such a thing? The guy literally knows nothing more than that. He doesn't know Shabbat, he doesn't know Kashrut, he doesn't know Tefillin, nothing. Because that's all that matters. If Hillel is confident that this person made a good candidate, that's the only thing that matters. Period. Sister Kapach, listen, I did the best I can do. I might make mistakes. Feel free to correct me if you feel I did. Prat la magid mishne, the case of mishne. Shetakti le shonam kimat kifishu. Except for the magid mishne and the case of mishne, who said I copied them almost word for word. Now, these are the two main commentaries in the Rambam. You print in any printed Rambam, you see. There's two columns, and one's the magid mishne, one's the case of mishne. I almost copied them verbatim. Zulati tikunim kalim, except for light corrections. 
שנבעו לדעתי מטעויות דפוס, that I believe came from misprints or corrections, errors in the printing. ואף הראותיו על דבריהם, אם היו לי כאלה, and I also sometimes made הערות, I made notes, when I felt like there were problems with what I wrote, פעמים שילבתים בתוך דבריהם בסוגריים מרובעים, sometimes in the middle of a commentary I'll put brackets, that's my own words of Rav Gabba. אם היו הערות קצרות, if they were short, notes, ופעמים לאחר דבריהם ימחו הדברים, but if they were longer notes, I waited until the end of the sentence. ויש מן המפרשים אשר רק המחיתי את But Hincheti would be the way you would say it in modern Hebrew today. Meaning, he writes with a mem, but it, he means, sometimes I guide the reader to those books. Even though those books dealt directly with the Rambam, I didn't see that the extra sources that I would quote helped in all understanding the words of Rabbeinu. Sometimes quoting numerous commentaries that all said the same thing is just uh, redundant. And I didn't find it useful to quote the second one because he didn't add anything the first one didn't add. You'll see this very often in the writings of Chachamim in their letters. They'll quote, let's say, Maran, and then they'll say, This rabbi wrote the same thing. This rabbi wrote the same thing. Instead of just quoting them over and over and over again, saying the same thing, they just tell you, if you want to see it, quote it again, go look in another book, and then you have ten opinions that say the same thing. Though they're not quoting each other, but there's no reason to quote ten people saying the same thing. And these are the rabbis that made it to my list, and whoever needs to look on them can do that. He says, in this kind of work, honestly, you can't help but deal with redundant quotes. Sometimes I had no choice but to quote things over and over again because that's the only way that I can make the text accessible to you. So sometimes I quote the Rambam two or three times, meaning I re-quote him. That way I don't have to keep you flipping around the book. Do you remember the old Sidurim? I, I don't know if you ever prepared those old Sidurim. Where they were not, you know, you'll notice many Sidurim say Sidur HaShalem, the complete one. What it means is you don't have to turn back and forth. Like the old Sidurim would say, you know, for Kaddish Al Yisrael, turn to page 321. For Kaddish, this one. For Aleinu, turn here. For Amidah, turn there. We used to buy books like that when we were kids. And they had like a surprise twist in the story. You know, uh, if you believe uh, John should go down the river, then turn to page 13. If you believe that, and that's how many Sidurim work. He says, I don't want to do that to you, that all day you should be switching pages from here to here. So often I quote the Rambam over and over, so you don't have to be flipping around the book. It doesn't help if you have this volume, and he quotes something in volume number 13, I have to go look for that book. You're in the Bit Knesset, you don't have it, it's at home. So he helps by quoting the Rambam again. You look here in the next sentence, Rabbeinu Dari Rosanes, it's a Spanish Sephardic name. He was a Chacham in Turkey. His student, we mentioned last night. Who's his student? Rabbi Yaakov Kuli, very good. Rabbi Yaakov Kuli is the author of Mam Loez. 
Yeah. Yaakov Kuni, essentially, the Mishnah Melech is a commentary on all kinds of things. On Tanakh, on the Mishnah, on the Talmud, on Halachot, on Agadot. On, and what Rabbi Yaakov Kuli did is he took all of his rabbis' teachings and made them as a commentary on the Rambam. But they weren't initially intended to be a commentary on the Rambam. So he writes here, it's famous that Mishnah Melech was not written by the author, it wasn't written as a running commentary on the writings of the Rambam. And then Nichtav Kesefer Nifrad, it was written as a separate book. Rozanes. Is that it was written as all kinds of different uh, insights and novel ideas and sharp uh, and, uh, thoughts of the great giant Rabbi Rozanes. Al Shonim, all kinds of different authors. Rishonim, Gamacharonim, and it's the commentary of the author of the Megid Mishneh, Mishneh Melech, that he quotes uh, commentaries in the Shas and other old books like the Mechilta, the Sifra, the Sifri, Vaot. Whoever the wind blew him, that's where he went. But no matter where the Mishneh Melech went, he always manages to quote the Rambam, whether in the beginning or the middle or the end. He always quotes the Rambam. For that reason, Rabbi Yaakov Kuli, the student, saw fit He rearranged his rabbi's books so they fit on the order of the Mishneh Torah. So there are times where you read the Mishnah Torah and it has nothing to do with what the Rambam is saying. Except for the fact that what he's talking about is what the Rambam is talking about, but he's not actually commenting on the Rambam at all. The reason is he's not commenting on the Rambam because he wasn't writing it as a commentary on the Rambam. He was writing it as a topic. He was writing about Shofar. So Rabbi Yaakov Kuli put him in the laws of Shofar, but he didn't intend to write any commentary on the Rambam. And don't be surprised when you see Mishnah Melech is not actually talking about the, the Rambam at all. Sometimes it's only something that's similar to what the Rambam is talking about. Or something that's similar to something that's similar to what the Rambam is talking about. It's like when you make tea on Shabbat. The first cup, the second cup. So in those instances where the Mishnah and the Melech was not relevant to understanding the Rambam, I only quoted the parts from him which were relevant to the Rambam. I don't believe that question mark should be there, but remember, don't edit books, just write a little star and say, I don't think it should be there. Uh, he says that my goal was not to gather everything that every Chacham wrote in the topic, I only wanted to explain the Rambam through all the different opinions that explain the Rambam as possible. And also with this, I also wanted to record what the words of our rabbis, the opinions of our rabbis on the Rambam were, Nochei Nefesh. What does Nochei Nefesh mean? May their souls rest in peace. No? He says, I wanted to show you the way traditionally different Chachamim read the words of the Rambam. It seems to me that this is what the Rambam intended to me. To my great surprise, there are many, many explanations of the words of the Rambam. 
Asher chashavti shehem yuchadim lechachmet eman. I thought that they were unique to the rabbis of Yemen. I thought only the rabbis of Yemen understood the Rambam this way. Ata imachitut vabilush, but now with my investigation and my digging around, my archaeology, motzei ani lo echad shotam advarim kvar hu alu al sefer meotam asvarim laperushim hagnuzim bevatei akad asvarim. In the I found that these are um, these words have already been written by other chachamim, great chachamim. In the Akad Asfarim is like the, the the library, you know, the archive. Very good, that's the word. The archives. And nobody shakes the dust off of these authors' books. Except for the cleaning ladies who clean the library. They're the only ones that shake the dust after the books. Everybody else, nobody touches them. Let me explain. Uh, I rarely quote things from Art Scroll. But in the end of the biography of Rabbi Vani Yosef in Art Scroll, someone showed me there's a letter there that somebody wrote. It's a letter from Rabbi Vani Yosef's books to him. And it's a poem that when he died, and when he passed away, I believe in his library, there were 40,000 books in his private library, which he knew by heart. By heart. You don't know a mind like Rabbi Yosef. When I read the books of Hamad Yosef, you, you sometimes you wonder if you're dealing with reality or not. You feel like, how did one person know all of this so accurately? Memorize details, like which line the things were written on. He'll quote you a story about a rabbi. I'll tell you, it's in the biography of the rabbi printed by this printer in this year, and this paragraph, and this page, and this line. But like that. He hasn't seen the book since he lived in uh, Egypt. I can you know, corroborate the story from somewhere else. Rabbi Israel Meir Lau, who's the father of the current Ashkenazi chief rabbi. Special man. Was, uh, someone I recommend. He wrote an autobiography. In Hebrew, it's called Atishlach Yedchan Hana. I think I stole it from my parents a few times already. It's now back in their house. But when I was uh, in my years in Yeshiva, I kept taking it from them. Uh, but now they have it in English. It's called Out of the Depths. It's a fascinating work. He wrote an autobiography about himself. I mean, that's another book about himself, right? And he writes about how he survived the Holocaust. And how a Holocaust survivor as a child becomes the chief rabbi of Israel. It's not like he just survived. He became one of the most glorious chachamim in Israel. Right. He, he met a very famous leader. Aside from the rabbis he met, the great uh, world leaders he met. I mean, his pictures with the Pope and Fidel Castro and all kinds of other, you know, Rishayim of different varieties and assortments. But he was, he was one of those leaders that made a point to meet with all kinds of world leaders. Rabbi Lau says that when he was younger and he was studying the yeshiva, uh, it was called Kol Torah. You know what Kol Torah Who's yeshiva is that? That's that's a uh, or something or or okay. who's called Torano? There's a famous Hoshiva in there. Roshlom Mozam and Orbach. Roshlom Mozam and Orbach. Roshlom is a special chacham. Our parents likes his writings a lot, a lot. And I just got a book from his last week in the mail. A book he wrote when he was very young about electricity on Shabbat. His own take on it. Interesting. It's very different time, different place. Uh, I think Rav Scheinberg is Or HaTorah, something like that. In that regard. Rav, um, Rav Israel Meila was studying Rav Orbach's Yeshiva. 
And he, it was a Holocaust, no parents, had an older brother that, that took him under his wing. And he really wanted a shas, like a, a, one of those pocket-sized little Talmuds that he could have. He went Shiva, he wants his own books. Imagine what it's like. It's the Depression. Israel's after the war. It's, uh, it's chaos. No. Tohu vavahu. It was, uh, Israel was upside down. And there was one bookstore. He would go there and say, how much is the shas? He would save money and save money. After a few years, he finally had enough money. And he went to the owner of the bookstore and said, finally I could buy a shas. And he gives him the money and the owner of the bookstore says, you're missing a few shekels. You still have to save a little more. Liras, whatever they were then. And he said, okay, can I please just buy the majority of the set? And I'll come back and buy the rest of the volumes as I get the money to come in. My cousin says, you know, you remind me of somebody. He's a young man. His name is Ovadia. And he comes here and he has no money, this guy. He has no money. He comes here, this poor man, and he can't afford to buy any books. He said, I have a very small store. And he always comes and asks if he could read one of the books or look up something in a book. And I tell him, I'm not a library and I don't have room for you to stand in my store. So he made a deal with me. He made a deal that as long as he doesn't take up floor space, that he could read in my, my store. And he would stand on top of the ladder. And you know, when they go to the higher shelves, that's where he stands the whole day, on top of the ladder. And Rav Lau says he remembers seeing Rabbi Bar Yosef as a young man. He was a kolam man. Standing on top of the ladder. And I don't know if he wrote or they exchanged words. He said, Rabbi Bari Yosef would read a book from cover to cover, put it back on the shelf, and go to the next book. And he just, that's he like scanned the book into his mind. That's all he needed to do. I'm not telling you miracle stories of somebody from hundreds of years ago. Somebody who we saw, somebody who we knew. He simply read a book, and that was it. He finished, put it back on the shelf. Read a book, finished, put it back on the shelf. That's what he did on top of the ladder. If you wonder, that's a special person. How could I do that? Think of all the things you know by heart. I send to meet young people that know all kinds of actors and their names and their last girlfriends and their this and the, who broke up with who and who. even the people who are into baseball, you know, the stats of this one and who won this series and that one and that. Think of all the useless things in life you remember. You go to the grocery store and the person's checking you out, the cashier. They know the number of every vegetable in that store. Is it the organic bell peppers or the non-organic bell peppers? The yellow one, the green one, the red one, is it on sales? And on sale? They know the what they call those uh, SKU numbers on every single vegetable in there. This kind of person could also memorize Shulchan Aruch if they wanted to. People have the ability to remember things. We're taught from a very young age to waste our brain on things that are not important. We're conditioned that way. We have reliance on other things. Ah, my phone remembers it. Think about how many numbers you used to know by heart before you had a cell phone. And how many numbers, you know, I, I'm sure there are many people who don't know their spouse's cell phone number. You don't have to. It's on, it's before you just press it on your phone. <laughs> so, I'm not saying what I just thought. So sometimes, sometimes I, <laughs> I go to the grocery store and they say, oh, do you have a rewards number? I say, actually, I don't know which phone number I put it under, but I know my childhood friend's phone number, they probably have a Ralph's reward number. You put the number in there, how do I know that number? Because when I was six, I knew that number. Come on, everyone knows what I'm talking about. Should they wonder why they get coupons for like baby diapers? <laughs> <laughs> it works the other way around too. I wonder why 17 coupons for ice cream come out of the machine. You see how that? So, 
Ruvad Yosef, thank you. His, uh, in, in the back of this biography, there's a poem written to him by his books. They say, Ruvad Yosef, for so many years, for so many years, nobody read us. Nobody even knew we existed. Until you came along and you read us and you quoted us. Said, but now that you're leaving us, who's ever going to look at us again? Who's going to be the next person to care about us? And I feel it was like a eulogy written from his books to him. Kapach is saying something similar. How many books are there that nobody even cares to turn, to look at? So the only people who shake the dust off the covers of those books are the cleaning ladies, you know, the janitorial crew that come through. And you don't know how happy I was when something that I heard exclusively from the rabbis of Yemen, I found later written by other Chachamim, big Chachamim. There's nothing new under the sun. The son of our great rabbi, the Rambam. He said, and I mention every time where I find something that I heard from the rabbis of Yemen in another book, because I didn't just come to collect writings, I also came to say things that are on my own, novel things. And if I made a mistake with Rabbeinu, I sometimes understood the Ramam's words incorrectly. I asked forgiveness because it's a mistake. And that's what I did with the Mishnah Amelech. I believe this next Marmach, if you find him, he's going to be um, the Maaseh Choshev, Rabbi Shmuel Bernbaum Halevi. I think that's who he's referring to here. Yes? He says, Who's the Or Sameach? Or Sameach? Yeah. Rav Meir Simcha of Dvinsk. He wrote a famous commentary on the Rambam, the Or Sameach. It's quoted a lot in Yeshiva. I use a lot. Want to hear about photographic memories? When I was in Yeshiva in Baltimore, the founding Rosh Yeshiva of Baltimore, his name was Rabbi Ruderman. I didn't know him, but he founded the Yeshiva in 1933. He studied in Yeshiva by the altar of Slabodka, which was you know, the Yeshiva of Slabodka. And once he quoted the Or Sameach and the Shi'ur, and he got some of the words wrong. So someone came to correct him. And he said, thank you for correction. And then someone went to this Bachur, don't miss him. You know, you should go ask him if he'll show you in his copy of the Or Sameach why he quoted him incorrectly. So he goes to the Roshiva and he says, you know, maybe the Roshiva's version of the Or Sameach is different than mine. I apologize, I didn't mean to correct him. And he says, I don't own a copy of the Or Sameach. He says, why not? He says, you know, when Or Sameach was published for the first time, the author sent a copy to different yeshivas. And he would say, this book should stay in this yeshiva for 30 days, then they should send it to the next yeshiva for 30 days, another yeshiva for 30 days, so the book can get around a little bit. People didn't have money. Europe, before the war, was uh, people were destitute, especially in the yeshiva. And he said, I remember when the book came to the yeshiva of Slabatka, and I wanted to borrow the book for myself. Everybody was fighting over the book. So, so I decided to stay up the whole night and learn the book on my own. The whole Sefer. Or Sameach on the Rambam. He said, and I, that night, memorized the whole Osam. And whatever I quote from Or Sameach the rest of my life is what I learned that night. And I have not owned a copy of Or Sameach since. And any time I quote from Or Sameach, 
It's what I'm quoting from when I was a Bakur in Shiva and Slabata. Dvarim Duim. Ruderman had a very, very interesting mind. He was famous for that. One of the things he was famous about. They say about him, I heard from a Talmud of his directly. He said, Ruderman, well, he didn't know anything about what he was. Or this kind of, in the Lithuanian and Shiva world, the more Rosh Hashivat kind of out of it, the, the greater he is. But he really, he, he always studied Torah, wasn't, wasn't involved so much in this world. Whether it's a value or not, it's for you to figure out. The, you know, they'd have a guy come drive him to weddings or to here or to there. Once a driver came to pick him up, and the driver says, So, no, uh, Roshiva has directions how to get there? Says, yeah, I'll tell you how to get there. Fine. Roshiva says, uh, Okay, here, make a right. Here, left. And the whole way till they got to the winning hall. When they got there, they saw there were some students who were very concerned because they knew the driver had no idea where he was going, and the Roshiva also had no idea where he was going. So, how'd you make it here? The Roshiva gave me directions. How do you know where you're going? I said, I don't know where I'm going. So whenever I get in a car, I review Mishnayot by heart. And I always remember in the third chapter of Masech Brachot, we make a right. And by the fourth chapter of Masech HaTzukah, we make a left. And at a stoplight, when I'm in the middle of Masech HaTzukah, this is where. And, when we, and like that, that's how I got him to the wedding hall. Now, I'll tell you whether or not you believe such stories. Whether stories are true, there's a famous story of Chavetz Chaim. They say the Chavetz Chaim, was once called in as a character witness in the court in Poland, in Radnan, Poland. And they asked the Chavet Chaim, uh, you know, why should we listen to who you are? Who, who are you, this Chavet Chaim, we should listen to you? He said, honestly, I, I can't tell you why you should listen to me as a character witness. So the lawyer, the Jewish lawyer, said, let me tell you, your honor, why you should listen to this man. There once was a thief who was walking by the window of the Chavet Chaim, and he saw his wallet in the window, the windowsill. And the thief grabbed the wallet and he ran away with the wallet. The Chavetz Chaim ran out the door and was chasing him. And the thief says, get away, I'm not going to give it back to you. He says, no, I don't want it back. I just don't want you to be a thief. So I give you the wallet, it's a gift. I forgive you, it's not stealing. And the Chavetz Chaim turns red. That story is not true. It never happened. And the judge looks at the lawyer. So the guy says the story never happened. He says, yes, your honor. But they don't tell stories like that about you or me. <laughs> so uh, sometimes you look at a story and you say from the story and the believability people had around the story they don't tell stories like that about you or me they tell stories like that about people who it's believable that such stories should be told about them so in general with all of these books I only quote them when they have direct contact with the words of the Rambam but in places where they just quote opinions, Ploni Amar, this rabbi said, Ploni Katav, and this rabbi wrote, I didn't quote those. And I quoted also from the writings of Chachmei Teman, What's Tabib? What's Tabib? What does it mean, Tabib? Last name, Tabibian. What does it mean? It's a doctor. Tabib. It's an Arabic. Farsi also has it. But he was a Haraza. Rabbi David Adani. This was a famous Chacham from Adin. Rabbi David. Rabbi Said Darin. I couldn't find his, his names on it. I looked for him in my encyclopedias. I couldn't find him. Rabbi Chekapach Sabi. Rabbi Chekapach, my grandfather. And Rabbi Chie, How you pronounce his last name? There are many different. Some say Aviyach, even though it's a Tzadi. 
Some say just Avit, some say Aviad. Everyone has different ways. For, I don't know how to pronounce the last name. I wasn't there. The old Rebichie, not Kapach, but the other one, he was a very dear friend of Rebichie Kapach, the grandfather of Yosef Kapach. He was the head Dayan in Sana uh, uh, after Rav Kapach uh, was there. He was also the last rabbi of the Dardaim movement, which we mentioned in our first year uh, in Yemen at the time. He was very famous. He also had a famous son who was Tamikhan. And I only quote the rabbis when they directly deal with the Rambam. And uh, to wrap up for tonight, I think that in general, if Kabbalah is trying to lay out his methodology, how he works, so you shouldn't meet any surprises, you should be able to understand. Oftentimes, people like to read books by skipping introductions. Look how many weeks we're spending on introductions already. And people get anxious. No, when are we going to start the Rambam? And the answer is, you can be like everybody else in history who learned the Rambam incorrectly. Because you didn't take time to study how the Rambam works. How many years did I spend studying Gemara in Yeshiva? Exercises in futility. This is a Mishnah, this is a Baita, this is Tosefta, this is a Rishon, this is that, this is that. And nobody ever explained to us the methodology of the Gemara. And there's a famous Chacham who wrote a book, and it's printed in the back of the Gemara, the introduction to the Gemara. When Chachamim write this, it means that. When Chachamim say this, it means this. When Chachamim, and it lays out the whole blueprint of the Talmud. If somebody would have taken a few hours to teach us that at the beginning of the yeshiva, we would know how to understand Talmud better. But instead people had this mentality, just dive into the pool, you learn how to swim. Or you'll drown. Why not teach people how to swim first? And there's never, never a time in which it doesn't pay to learn a Haggadah a book. We still have a few more weeks left in our Kapach Takdam. But let me tell you that it's worth it. There are books that I own in my house. I bought them because I thought the book would be interesting. And I bought the book, and the book has nothing interesting inside of it. But the introduction to the book? Wow. That's gold. What the rabbi wrote in the introduction to his book, everything else in the book, it could have found somewhere else. But the introduction to the book? It was worth it. It was worth it. Sometimes, and those of you who, who have written books might know, you write a book, and then later you come back and write the introduction to the book. Once you actually know what the book is going to be about. And oftentimes, the introduction could technically be published as a separate work in its own right. And that's what you find very often in books, that it's really two books. It's the introduction to the book, and then into the book. That introduction on its own has its own value, not connected to what's written in the book. It's something worth noticing in life to learn the rules. When you know the rules, it's easier to study math when you know how the equation works, instead of just memorizing all the different answers that come out of the equation. Most people do that when they learn halakha. They know you could do this on Shabbat, you could do this on Shabbat. You could do this on Kashrut, you can't do this on Kashrut. But they never bother to learn the equation of kashrut. What is it, what do I plug in here and what do I plug in there? So what comes out here? And then I don't have to memorize details like a parrot. I'll remember how it works. And then every new question that comes into my mind, I'll be able to shoot out the right answer. But very few are teachers who know how to teach us like Rav Kapach is doing. I'm telling you how the Rambam thinks. Why the commentaries on the Rambam are written a certain way. That way, when in the future you come into a question or a problem or a discussion, you'll know exactly how to navigate what's in front of you. We'll continue on Monday.